0: In the second year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His mind was troubled and he could not sleep. So the king summoned the magicians, the enchanters, sorcerers and astrologers to tell him what he had dreamed. When they came in and stood before the king, he said to them, I've had a dream that troubles me and I want to know what it means. Then the astrologers answered the king, may the king live forever. Tell your servants a dream and we will interpret it. The king replied to the astrologers, this is what I firmly decided. If you do not tell me what my dream was and interpret it, I will have you cut into pieces and your houses turned into piles of rubble. But if you tell me the dream and explain it, you will receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor. So tell me the dream and interpret it for me. Once more, they replied, let the king tell his servants a dream and we will interpret it. Then the king answered, I am certain that you are trying to gain time because you realize that this is what I have finally decided. If you do not tell me the dream, there is only one penalty for you. You have conspired to tell me misleading and wicked things, hoping the situation will change. So then tell me the dream and I will know that you can interpret it for me. The astrologers answered the king, there is no one on earth who can do what the king asked. No king, however great and mighty, has ever asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or astrologer. What the king asks is too difficult. No one can reveal it to the king except the gods, and they do not live among humans. This made the king so angry and furious that he ordered the execution of all the wise men of Babylon. So the decree was issued to put the wise men to death, and men were sent to look for Daniel and his friends to put them to death. When Ariok, the commander of the king's guard, had gone out to put to death the wise men of Babylon, Daniel spoke to him with wisdom and tact. He asked the king's officer, why did the king issue such a harsh decree? Ariok then explained the matter to Daniel. At this, Daniel went in to the king and asked for time, so that he might might interpret the dream for him. Then Daniel returned to his house and explained the matter to his friends, Hananiah, Mishael and Azariah. He urged him to plead for mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery, so that he and his friends might not be executed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. During the night, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in the vision. Then Daniel praised the God of heaven and said, Praise be to the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. He changes times and seasons. He disposes kings and raises up others. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. He he reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what lies in darkness and light dwells with him. I thank and praise you, God of my ancestors. You have given me wisdom and power. You have made known to me what we asked of you. You have made known to us the dream of the king.
1: Great. Great. Uh, Thank you so much, Louise. Um, Let me pray for us before we begin. Heavenly Father, thank you that the Holy Scriptures are able to make us wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Please use our time together now in Daniel to thoroughly equip us for every good work as servants of yours and ambassadors of your kingdom. Amen. I don't know how many of you saw the Michael McIntyre sketch that was doing the rounds last year when he visits a fortune teller pre-coronavirus and asks him to tell him the future. It's a classic. Apologies, I'm about to do a terrible imitation that won't do it justice. Crystal Ball, please show me, tell me the future. I can see you are a comedian. Yes, uh, but no points for that. I am quite successful. Next year, you will no longer be comedian. No, you will be substitute teacher and amateur hairdresser. Really? I see you getting very excited about a trip next year. Oh, that is probably the safari that I've booked. No, the trip you are most excited about seems to be a trip to the garden centre. Sorry, am I not going on holiday with friends? Dream on. I'm afraid your friends will no longer come within two metres of you. That can't be the case. I'm having a huge birthday party. Cancelled. You will sing happy birthday, though, to yourself every day at least eight times. And so the sketch continues. Definitely do Google it if you haven't seen it. And sorry if I've just destroyed it for you. The reason it's so funny is because we realise how absurd the last year and a half would have seemed to us back in 2019. Not even the brightest minds, most intelligent scientists, wisest of politicians could have foreseen 2020 and 2021 panning out like this. And certainly the last year and a half has led us to ask lots of questions about the future. When will this end? Will life ever return to normal? Will my family and friends be okay? But also to consider bigger life questions too. Where is God in this? Why is our world in such a mess? How do I know it's worth trusting Jesus when things feel so hard? And similarly, at the time of Daniel, The Israelites, having been taken into exile, would have faced similar big life questions. On the surface level, at least, it looked like God had deserted them and the Babylonians were now the ones with all the authority. And yet, as we will see from our passage, God was really the one in charge. And continuing to trust him, even when life was not going to plan, was absolutely the right thing to do. So as we dive into our passage, we will see it addresses both the Israelites' questions and ours. Firstly, showing what we can't ultimately rely on, but secondly and thirdly, what we can. So my first point, verse 1 to 13, the insufficiency of human wisdom. Our story begins when King Nebuchadnezzar was having dreams and was troubled not being able to sleep, verse 1. We all know what it's like to have a bad dream, and the relief that comes from waking up. But for Nebuchadnezzar, waking up was no tonic. He knew his dream was about the future, and he was terrified that he didn't understand it. Despite being the most powerful man in the world, he feared the unknown. And isn't that equally true of even the most powerful and self-sufficient today? If coronavirus has taught us anything, it's how anxiety-inducing we find it to realize that we're not in control. Wanting wisdom, Nebuchadnezzar calls his key advisors, the magicians, enchanters, sorcerers, and astrologers. This group would have been a bit like the Sage of Babylon, the Chris Whitties and Patrick Valances of their day, and they're quick to want to help, first four. Tell your servants the dream and we will interpret it. The king was having none of this, though. Recognising that they were trying to make up an explanation, he threatens to cut them into pieces and turn their houses into piles of rubble, verse 5, if they didn't give him the answer he wanted. At least we can be encouraged that operations within number 10 aren't this draconian. But the king's advisers had a major problem on their hands. They just weren't wise enough. The astrologers recognise this issue in verse 10 to 11. There is no one on earth who can do what the king asks. No one can reveal it to the king except the gods and they do not live among humans. They grasp that their wisdom is limited and to give the king what he wants, they need wisdom far beyond what this world can provide. They even recognize the need for a God intervention, a revelation. But these men don't know any God who can help them with this. Things are looking pretty bad. And in anger and rage, the king orders the execution of all the wisest men of Babylon. Verse 12. Whilst the king doesn't have the power to get the wisdom he's looking for, he does have the power to frighten and intimidate. This whole section reveals just how weak human wisdom really is. Even the cleverest of this world can only guess at, hope for the best, or even despair when it comes to answering life's big questions. Looking deep within or even to the best scientific modelers and futurists will only get us so far. To answer these bigger questions, we need to hear from the only one who has authority over all things, not only the things of this world, but everything that goes on behind the scenes in the spiritual world, the things we can't see and won't understand unless they are revealed to us. Daniel turns to him in the next part of our drama. So my second point, the God who reveals, verse 14 to 29. Arioch, the commander of the king's guard, delivers the bad news to Daniel that he and his friends are to be put to death with all the wise men of Babylon. But amazingly, Daniel doesn't despair. Instead, he asks for an explanation and then boldly arranges to see the king to ask for time so that he might interpret the dream for him, verse 16. Having done this, he quickly finds his friends and urges them to join him in pleading to God for mercy, verse 18. In the midst of a crisis, Daniel is absolutely clear that there is only one place to turn to the God of heaven and he does exactly that. It's worth stopping for a moment to consider what's our default approach in a crisis. When a problem hits it's so easy to turn inwards and to try to fix things ourselves or to turn to friends or family hoping that they will give us the answer. I hate to admit it, but prayer can often be my last rather than first resort. Whilst Daniel turned to his friends, it was because he wanted them to pray with him. He was absolutely sure that the Lord knew best and was the only one with power over everything. And it's worth us remembering this too. So what happens next in our story? Well, during the night, God in his mercy revealed to Daniel the mystery which the wise men of Babylon were utterly helpless to understand, verse 19. Imagine what you'd have done next if you were in Daniel's shoes. I'd probably have sprinted off to find Nebuchadnezzar to get the death sentence retracted, almost forgetting in my haste what God had done, perhaps mumbling a quick thank you to God as I rushed out the door. But this wasn't Daniel's response. Instead, he rightly bows down to worship and praise God, praising praying the most beautiful prayer verse 20 to 23 recognizing the utter enormity of God's wisdom power and control over all things the contrast between Nebuchadnezzar and God couldn't be starker whilst Nebuchadnezzar's power is both limited and ugly the God of the universe is infinitely powerful in fact all power belongs to him he is the one who deposes and raises up kings as he sees fit. And even more importantly for Daniel, he's the source of all wisdom. Crucially, the one who reveals the deep and hidden things, the mysteries that we can't see or understand. And as Daniel gives the interpretation to Nebuchadnezzar, he's at pains to point out uh, this rather than take the credit himself. Verse 27. No wise man, enchanter, magician or diviner can explain to the king the mystery he has asked, but there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. So having seen the God who reveals, the third and final section shows us what, what God reveals, that he is the God who rules. So my final point, the God who rules, verse 31 to 45. You'll recall that Nebuchadnezzar didn't want his dream interpreted, but he wanted to be told what it was. And Daniel does exactly that. We won't read the dream, but just to summarise verse 31 to 35. He had seen a huge statue with a head of pure gold, chest and arms in silver, and belly and thigh in bronze, and feet partly iron and partly clay. A rock was cut out of it, but not by human hands, and this rock struck the statue and smashed it. It breaks apart and is then blown away like chaff, leaving nothing behind. The rock then becomes a mountain filling the whole earth. The statue that looks so impressive at first is utterly destroyed and replaced by a rock that becomes the mountain. But what does it mean? Daniel continues to give God's interpretation in verse 37 to 45. Firstly, we see that the head of gold refers to Nebuchadnezzar himself. Have a look with me at verse 37 and 38. Your majesty, you are the king of kings. The God of heaven has given you dominion and power and might and glory. In your hands, he has placed all mankind and the beasts of the field and the birds in the sky. Wherever they live, he has made you ruler over them all. You are that head of gold. Notice how the image is almost godlike. God has given him dominion, power, might and glory. But just like God gave this power to him, he also would take it away. And after him, another kingdom, less impressive, the silver would appear. This would be followed by another, the bronze, which would have a huge role in the world. Finally, the fourth, as strong as iron, would come and break up and smash the others. But this kingdom wouldn't last either, as its feet of mixed materials, verse 41, would mean that it would be divided. Through the dream and interpretation, God was showing what would happen in world history in the future. And we shouldn't be surprised when we look back and see how this dream played out over the next few centuries. After the impressive Babylonian empire came the less impressive Medo-Persian empire. Then there was the vast power of the Greek empire under leaders such as Alexander the Great portrayed by the bronze statue. And then can you guess what comes next? Yes, finally, the Roman empire, which lasted over 500 years and took over a large part of the Western world, smashing everything in its path, but eventually dividing. It was during this empire that the rock gets cut out. God sets up a kingdom, verse 44, that won't be destroyed, but would crush all others, bringing them to an end. A kingdom that would last forever. And over 500 years after this dream, whilst Israel was under Roman occupation, Jesus walked into Galilee, proclaiming, the time has come the kingdom of God has come near, repent and believe the good news. Jesus marked the arrival of a kingdom that was totally different to all the previous kingdoms. It was a kingdom established by God, not man. A kingdom that would divide history in half, resetting the calendar into BC before Christ and AD after. A kingdom that would keep growing with the proclamation of Jesus' death and resurrection and the declaration of his victory over sin and death, a kingdom that will grow from a few followers in Israel into a global religion. And this isn't the end. It's a kingdom that will one day fill the whole earth like a mountain. The final fulfillment of Nebuchadnezzar's dream is still to come when Jesus will return to reign in glory. When at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father, Philippians 2. Returning to our story, we see that the interpretation had a huge impact on Nebuchadnezzar, who now prostrates himself at Daniel's feet, paying him great honour, verse 46 but he also acknowledges Daniel's God. Surely your God is the God of gods and the Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries. The king, who was the head of gold in the statue, the most powerful man in the world, acknowledges that all rulers on earth are under the God of Israel. And even he, the mightiest of kings, is under God's sovereign power. And as those working in the seat of power in our country, it's worth asking ourselves, have we recognised this too? There is absolutely no politician, no political party, no nation state which is operating outside of God's power. And this is true whether we choose to acknowledge it or not. In Daniel chapter 2, we've seen the God who reveals offering wisdom That the world simply can't. And we've also seen the the God who rules and reigns supreme over all things. His kingdom is far more powerful than any human kingdom. And today, our God remains the same. He's both the God who reveals and the God who rules over personal crises, over election results, over pandemics, over everything. Whilst no human can predict the future, There is no fortune teller on earth who can gaze into his crystal ball for us. All human wisdom is insufficient. Yet our God is the God of heaven, who knows exactly how all things will turn out. But even more importantly, how things will end. And incredibly, he hasn't left us in the dark. By coming into the world to die on the cross in our place, Jesus has shown us that he is the king of kings, and Lord of all, who's revealed the way to the Father for us. So can I ask you, if you're here today and you haven't yet surrendered to God's kingship and rule, will you, like Nebuchadnezzar, bow down and worship him, realising that his wisdom is divine wisdom and provides so much more than any human guesswork? What's God's, what God's kingdom has to offer is so much greater than anything this world can give you. And if you're here today as a Christian, having accepted Jesus's revelation and choosing to live under his rule, let's look forward with excitement to a kingdom that will fill the earth, a kingdom that will be far better than any earthly kingdom, a kingdom that will never pass away. And in doing this, let's live for the day when Jesus will return, Let's align our priorities with his and throw our weight behind the advance of his kingdom, seeking to tell others about it. All other kingdoms and powers are temporary and will come and go, but wonderfully God's kingdom will last forever. Amen.